You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Nicoletis for Real Vision. Today with us, we have John Floyd, uh, head of macro strategies at Record Currency Management. And hello, John. How are you? Very good. Good uh, Good afternoon, Michael. It's nice, nice to be here on Real Vision. Nice to be with you, too. So if you can, can you give us a bit of your background so uh, the viewers can see where you're coming from and what your experience has been before we start talking about uh, the global macro and more specifically about Turkey? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I am the uh, head of portfolio um, management and macro strategies at Record Currency Management. Uh, previously, I ran a absolute return currency fund for over 15 years. Uh, what I've done is bring uh, my currency for return fund under the umbrella of record. Uh, and we've also started a macro fund uh, on July 1. Uh, and I would just also say uh, before we start that the views here are the views of the macro strategies unit, not necessarily all of record currency management. We have a number of different portfolios that we construct uh, and manage for various clients, uh, but these are for the currency for return and macro strategies. Great. So let's talk about, first of all, how you see the world, how you see the macro setup, and what opportunities. Uh, you've seen and how do you think this thing is going to play out? Look, I think, Michael, as we discussed yesterday in, in kind of the pre-call, um, the key thing uh, to look at and, and the way we structure the portfolio is we look at what's happening on a long-term basis on both a macroeconomic and geopolitical framework. And we've developed a number of proprietary scorecards and methods to analyze that framework. Uh, and from there, look on a more short-term nature as to how best to express that view, uh, what instruments, where, what country, what products. Uh, in doing that, um, we came up with a number of different trades in emerging markets, one of them being Turkey, others being South Africa and Brazil. Uh, and when I shared this with Raul, um, we thought this would be a good point to kind of discuss where we are now in the world and how we came to these conclusions and perhaps how to express these views. Um, and I think one of the overriding factors is recognizing how we came into 2020. Um, and one of the key themes was that we've had an explosion uh, in debt. Um, where debt as, as a percentage of GDP um, has risen from about 100% in 1950 uh, to 220% coming into 2020. The pandemic or COVID-19 uh, really was a catalyst. Just, you know, viruses uh, expose the weak points. Um, just as if you're playing a game of checkers or you're playing a game of chess and you have a, a knight um, running around unsupported or you open up a hole in your checker position, 
the virus opened a weak spot in the global economy. Um, and one of the studies that we, we came across very early um, was a study, I believe, out of UCAL Irvine that the San Francisco Fed picked up. And if you look at pandemics going back over multiple centuries, um, you see that pandemics tend to depress real rates of return for prolonged periods of time, you know, 10 plus years. Um, so I think when, when, when you look through that um, and you think about what's happening now in September of 2020, you look at the response from the central banks and from the fiscal authorities, uh, and you look at some of the contemporaneous data uh, in context with how we came into this crisis, um, I think we're at a turning point now where the dollar is going to rally. Um, the dollar is not going to lose its reserve currency stance anytime. Um, if you look at the spreads between mobility indicators in the U.S. and Europe, uh, they're moving in the U.S.'s favor right now. Uh, the ECB this week is likely to recognize uh, the strength in the euro uh, and its downward uh, impact on inflation, in addition to some of the inflation indicators we've seen come out over the past few weeks. Uh, the U.S. election now has, the race has clearly tightened, uh, where I think it's more likely that President Trump uh, wins the race. It's a little unclear what happens in, in both houses of Congress. Uh, and I think if you look at the positioning indicators, uh, clearly they are slanted to people being short the dollar and long the euro. Now, if you take this in context of the emerging markets, um, it's amazing to me that despite the dollar's weakness, many of the emerging markets have not rallied. So if you think about if the dollar rallies and you have structural weaknesses in some of the emerging markets, um, these currencies, along with a decline uh, in the V-shaped recoveries over the next few months, uh, I think we can see 10 plus percent depreciations, um, if not larger moves, um, as we recalibrate uh, what the growth trajectory is going to look like globally for the next year. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So just to, to, to recap a bit what you said, uh, you, the statement that the, 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 the virus was a, was a trigger, not the cause of the problem, you agree with that statement, that uh, things have occurred because it was a trigger. The COVID-19 did not cause this whole uh, situation we're in right now. Is this something? Absolutely. This was going to happen one way or the other. You know, you never, you never are quite sure exactly what the catalyst is going to be. Uh, okay. We can see it in hindsight. All we can do is set up a picture of what we see in terms of the macroeconomic outlook, what the geopolitical outlook is, and probabilistically how we think it might evolve and where the weak points are. But we're never quite sure exactly what it's going to be. Okay. And the second thing is, you believe the dollar is going to go higher. Uh, I tend to agree with the thesis. But we've seen during the past few months 
the dollar weakening significantly across a broad basket of currencies. Obviously, there are those who believe that the dollar might go lower. Uh, I tend to agree with your uh, statement that the dollar should go higher just because, in my view, uh, it's the cleanest shirt around, not because it's a good currency or not, but there are more problems in other currencies than the dollar. So I think that the dollar should go higher. Now, what is interesting in what you said is that usually when the dollar weakens, emerging market currencies tend to do well. In this case, there are some cases where even though the dollar has weakened, some emerging market currencies have not done well. So EM currencies, some EM currencies have done poorly even though the dollar has been weakening. Uh, why do you th- which currencies are that? Which one are you looking at? And why do you think this has happened? Because if your thesis is right and the dollar starts rallying, imagine what EM currencies which have been weakening during a weak dollar, what will happen then? It's, it's a great point. And I think that's really one of the salient points in terms of thinking how the markets may evolve from here, particularly in EM. This really is not that different than what's happened over the past 10 or 15 years um, in global asset markets, if you think about it. right? We've had one of the greatest financial booms um, ever in history. Um, and in this period of time, you know, U.S. CapEx, for example, and productivity has, has declined as financial engineering has taken over. Um, in the same way, many of the emerging market economies uh, came into this crisis with a relatively weak position because their debt levels have, have risen, right? So we talked earlier about global debt levels rising, particularly dollar debt uh, in emerging markets. Do you have an uh, estimate of what the dollar debt in EM is? Approximately, yeah. Don't quote me exactly, but it, it's it's roughly four trillion dollars, I okay. believe. Okay. Um, but global debt, you know, as a percentage GDP, is, is around two twenty. Um, okay. And in in countries like Brazil, they came into this crisis um, with debt to GDP at around eighty percent. That's likely to go north of one hundred percent. Um, the budget deficit is blowing out to around 15% of GDP. Um, in Turkey, uh, there are negative reserves when you account the liabilities in the banking system. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Because most people will say negative reserves. How can that happen? Uh, they, 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 they don't understand what the Turkish Central Bank has done. So if you can you know, say a few words on that, I think people will find it very interesting. Sure, sure. Look, I think one of the slightly um, outcomes of the the slightly unorthodox policy in Turkey has been in order to defend the currency um, and stop it from depreciating sharply, uh, the central bank has drawn down on the reserves uh, and they've used the Turkish banks uh, to assist in intervening uh, through swap lines. Uh, if you take that all into account, it means their actual reserve position is negative, you know, somewhere in the order of minus 20 to 30 billion. Some of the most recent data I looked at um, prior to this interview has slightly changed that a little bit. Uh, and all of it's not up to date. Um, but net, there is there's liability within the reserves of, of Turkey. So effectively, depositor dollar deposits in uh, Turkish banks have been depleted 
because they've been used by the central bank to defend the currency. Is this that's correct? correct? That's correct. Okay, so do you think this could cause also a banking crisis within Turkey? How do you think this? How do you think this plays out going forward? Because if Turkey right now is having negative re- uh, reserves, and if I'm correct today, the lira went around 749 or 750 versus the dollar. I think it's a new low, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, it means that the currency is falling uh, gradually at this moment because I guess the central bank is intervening. But if they have negative reserves, this cannot hold for long. It means that they will need either dollars. I would so I would think of via swap lines via the Fed if that were to occur because uh, as we speak, this isn't happening. This is uh, the, the Fed hasn't given swap lines to the Turkish central bank. Or how do you, if they do if that doesn't happen? How do you think this? Uh, you know what? What do you think happens from now from going forward? I think Michael, those are all the absolute right questions. Um, I would turn it slightly differently, and in some ways view this as an opportunity, a window of opportunity for Turkey to come out on top here. Um, you know, I had a conversation about two weeks ago. Um, with the deputy head of one of the largest uh, emerging market uh, countries, central banks. And he made a very obvious but somewhat startling um, admission when I asked him about the pass-through of currency depreciation to the inflation rate. And he said, you know, it's there, but our output gaps in terms of the demand shock that we've seen from COVID-19 is so large, it's barely impacting um, us right now. And he wasn't very concerned about it. And I think unlike the Euro, um, which those countries are in a straitjacket where they have severe limitations on what can be done fiscally uh, and monetarily to stimulate individual economies and where Italy now is less competitive Uh, than it was when it entered the euro. Turkey has a great opportunity here to use COVID-19 and the pandemic uh, and the current environment um, to its benefit, using the output gaps, using COVID-19 and the shocks to GDP, letting the currency depreciate. There will be definitely some pass through to inflation given the open economy. keeping rates relatively firm, hopefully getting them positive right now because real rates are negative. Uh, And through doing this, through a weaker currency, uh, through higher real rates, there's a very good chance that one, the export economy will become more competitive. Two, they will attract capital uh, into the country. Uh, And that ultimately, could be an advantage for Turkey that many countries, like the euro, doesn't have right now. The alternative, in terms of you know potential shocks, like what could go wrong and cause a massive appreciation to Turkey, possibly swap lines uh, from the Fed, possibly an IMF package, possibly some uh, unilateral support from the U.S. But I think these are low probability bets right now. They may occur further down the road in a time of crises, uh, but they're they're a ways off right now. Uh, very interesting points. Question, but isn't the fact that 
Uh, right now, uh, Turkish corporates are, are borrowed a lot in dollars. I think the next 12 months, they need to repay something around $100 billion. Wouldn't a weakened a weakening currency make this repayment harder and cause some issues in the internal economy? I, I, I understand completely that once the currency, let's say, devalues, it helps exports and uh, growth can come from abroad. Given that we've seen that COVID uh, cases have been coming up again and we might have a second wave and that second wave might cause again a slowdown in the economy. First, is that external growth coming for Turkey? Second, do you think that if the currency falls, what's more important, exports going up or some companies not being able to pay their debt because uh, of the of the of the currency fall. And third, how do you think the banks are affected in this uh, matrix where they've lent money in the Turkish corporates, they're vulnerable from all sides, and their deposits have been used to defend the currency? So, uh, I, just to, you know, to, to to sum it up, I I, I hear your your uh, points, and I think they're very valid. I'm not sure who wins this tug of war in terms of Turkey being better off on the next the next day, or maybe let me put it this way: maybe we have a short-term cr- crisis. I don't want to put crisis, but a short-term, let's say, uh, pressure on the economy. But then, what you just uh, said plays out. Uh, you know, the sequence of events is a bit more troubling for me. I, I don't know how you see this. Look, I mean, it, there is no doubt. Um, It's a very challenging situation. Uh, And the numbers are the numbers. You know, rates are negative. Real rates are negative. Uh, Credit has been exploding. Real reserves are negative. The dollar liabilities are there. Uh, The geopolitical uncertainty is there and is rising on multiple fronts, as you well know, being in Athens. Uh, It's with Greece. It's with Russia. It's with the U.S., um, you know, name a spot. There, there is significant geopolitical uncertainty um, that is rising as opposed to falling, uh, and it's a challenging uh, situation to get out of. If you break down, you know, another interesting fact, and this fits into some of the themes on, on real vision of, of Bitcoin and gold. Um, you know, I broke down the balance payments uh, and the. Errors and admissions, uh, interestingly, um, and, and this is in terms of when you look at the balance of payments, you look at the current account, you look at the capital account, and you see where the flows are. Um, and one of the big challenges in Russia in 1998 uh, was that the errors and admissions were particularly high because there's a lot of flight capital. Uh, if you look at the past few quarters in Turkey, um, the errors and admissions show a significant amount of flight capital out of the country, some of which... Um, given restrictions uh, and monitoring, is probably going into things like Bitcoin. Okay, very interesting. Um, and that, but, that's that's why I guess uh, gold has been going up. Uh, a gold reserve. I think they've been purchasing gold within Turkey, if I'm not mistaken. I read somewhere that they that gold demand had picked up within Turkey. Maybe it's it's a form of flight. Uh, uh, of currency flight outside the country. If you can't take it out by a hard asset that doesn't lose its value, I guess. Correct. Correct. I haven't seen those numbers, uh, but that, that would make sense in terms of what you're seeing in the detail of the balance of payments. 
and in terms of what it means, uh, in terms of the dollar liabilities of, of the Turkish entities, the banks and corporates, it's clearly a risk. But if you look back to late July, when we first started putting on some trades in Turkey, uh, at the time, the lira was kind of pinned through intervention, likely around the 7.0 level. And as you said this morning, it's at 7.5. Um, so the risk is a disorderly depreciation that gets out of control without international support. Um, if you look at the currency since the last crises in August of 2018, you know, by our calculations on a real effective exchange rate basis, which, which looks at uh, inflation differentials versus the competitors, um, Turkey uh, is 10 to 15 percent overvalued right now, which would imply that it would have to depreciate 10 to 15 percent from here to be from as competitive as it was in August of 2018. From 750. That's correct. And just to, to let everyone know, that I think the Turkish year was at the beginning of the year around six, right? It's been from it's gone from six to seven fifty within nine months already. That's correct. So it's a pretty sharp depreciation, I would say, for uh, for for the time frame we're talking about. So the way you would express the trade would be via the currency, or do you have other ways of doing this trade, or 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 how do you see the macro landscape, and how what's your risk reward in terms of looking at this at looking at playing the devaluation in in Turkey? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Right, right. That A is always a challenging question. B, it's particularly a challenging question in Turkey. Given liquidity, given the volatility curves, uh, and given the geopolitical uncertainty, and given the negative carry, I think it's always important when you're expressing a trade, as I said, to take a top-down perspective, to think about how you expect the world to evolve from a macroeconomic and geopolitical standpoint, um, and then to compare how the rest of the world um, expects the market prices to evolve. And if there's a gap there, you can derive what I would call a variant perception. And in that gap is an opportunity. Uh, in Turkey, um, the way we have chosen to express this, given the market dynamics, um, is to put on dollar call spreads. So put on dollar call spreads where we're buying a dollar call and selling a dollar call at a higher strike in the three-month to six-month time period, where we're minimizing some of the decay uh, through the volatility. Uh, we're minimizing some of the long vega through being short the options, but we're limiting our upside. But we're still generating options where the risk-reward is between 5 to 1 and 10 to 1 uh, of the premium that we're spending. And we've calibrated the strikes to be roughly in line for maximum profit based off our analysis of previous devaluation periods in Turkey. 
But if you go back in time over the past 10 or 20 years, you find that the average depreciation of the Turkish lira during periods of weakness is slightly over 30%. So we structure options to derive maximum benefit should that happen with great risk reward. And we're also operating under the belief that, uh, and this is the challenge for Turkey and the challenge for the dollar liabilities, markets don't move in a linear fashion. They move in a parabolic fashion. And that's the real risk here, but that's the real payout in our option structures. Now, one of the tenets that you know, I've always followed is you want to find the most direct expression of an investment view and not get too scattered or die a death of a thousand cuts with 30 different positions when they're all correlated. In the case of Turkey here, um, you need to call somewhat of what I'd say maybe an audible. You need to be a little diversified, taking into account, and this is what we talked about yesterday, is Turkey is part of a global view that's been evolving for 10 plus years uh, in terms of debt levels, uh, the lack of the emerging market countries to take advantage of the 10 year plus bull market uh, in the world economies, not correcting the fiscal deficits, uh, not uh, addressing uh, the spending issues, uh, not building up reserves for, for a lot of emerging market countries, not all of them. But also to think about what we mentioned earlier about Europe um, and thinking about, okay, if Turkey uh, comes under pressure, who else besides the Turkish banks and Turkish corporates might um, be impacted through feedback mechanisms? Uh, you know, the many cases you have a small event, you know, Iceland, you know, the crisis in Iceland one time, you know, kind of the, the butterfly flapping its wings, you know, led to impact globally when long-term capital came under pressure because of their uh, some of their positions that had reverberations throughout the world. Uh, in this case, you know, there's a large, if you look through the bank exposure of European banks to Turkey, France and Spain particularly stand out. Uh, so going along with the Turkish view, but backing uh, into the flows and liabilities and thinking about our Euro view, we've also expressed this trade through short positions uh, in Italian bonds, French bonds, and Spanish bonds versus both the U.S. Uh, and German bunds. We've also are expressing this uh, through the euro, through short euro positions. Very interesting. So you think that the, the, uh, if there was a, uh, let's say, a parabolic uh, currency devaluation in Turkey, which would trigger a domestic crisis in Turkey, that the knock-on effect would be first in Europe or in EM, as you know, the, the uh, investors would go and look at other EM countries first, or do you think it would be first, let's go and see France and Italy, their exposures and hedge or reduce our positions because it could get affected uh, immediately. So, or do you, do you look at both? How do you, how do you see this? Well, I'm not sure of the exact order. Um, my my estimate would be that it would be impacted, and just we saw the other day in things like South African Rand uh, and the Mexican Peso, uh, I think the, the, the first order effect would be through emerging market currencies. 
uh, outside of something specific happening in, in Europe. Now, we know what the European bank index has been doing uh, for the past 10 years in terms of kind of kind of pulling, uh, you know, with a, a very large gravitational pull to, to lower numbers uh, in terms of share prices. I expect that to continue. This would definitely exacerbate that. Uh, but I think the first order effects and the immediate effects would be in the, in the emerging market currencies. Uh, the, 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 the story in South Africa and Brazil are slightly different, right? All these things you, know, you have to kind of paint a picture and see what the weak points are. You know, the weak points in Brazil and South Africa are the fiscal numbers and the dollar debt numbers. The dollar debt numbers in Turkey are high, but not quite as bad as the other countries. Okay, so let me uh, see if I understood correctly. So you would be, you're bearish on Europe, and this makes it an even stronger case for your bearish thesis, or is it a bearish thesis in Europe, which is derived by Turkey? I would take it one step higher on, on the global chain. Okay. And get back to your earlier point about the dollar um, and, you know, the best of a bad bunch. I think the dollar is the best of the bad bunch. The U.S. economy is the best of, say, call it a hurting bunch in terms of the impact of COVID-19. You know, we have the U.S. has the highest potential GDP. Uh, it's it's the largest economy in the world. Uh, it's got higher productivity levels than most countries, particularly um, Europe as a whole. Uh, and I think the U.S. will be the leader. Uh, and particularly some of the contemporaneous numbers uh, and uh, some of the high frequency indicators we've been modeling uh, point to the U.S. doing better here relative to Europe. And I think you're seeing that in some of the confidence numbers, industrial production numbers, inflation numbers coming out of Europe, as well as the COVID-19 mobility numbers. Um, that leads us to a view on the dollar, um, the overall issues in Europe on how the euro has evolved uh, since its existence and the decline in Italian productivity and competitiveness and the rise in debt levels uh, and the package uh, that's come out, uh, which was described as a Hamiltonian moment, which I think is as far from the truth as you can get, uh, in that it only addresses 10% of Italy's needs over the next few years. Uh, and that 10% is contingent upon meeting certain hurdles which are unlikely to be met. Uh, that leads us to a, a Europe view versus the dollar and a peripheral view uh, within Europe. The linkages and the feedback and mechanisms and what's happening uh, in Turkey in idiosyncratically fit into that kind of global food chain of opportunities in terms of how we think the markets are going to evolve. Okay, so uh, I, 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 I'm mostly on board with what you're saying, your thesis, I agree. My question is, what could go wrong? What would go wrong in this thesis, the way you see it? What, how could, what should one watch for things going the other way, for example? What would you need to see to change your view? Mm -hmm. Oh, look, uh, I mean, there's always a lot of things that can go wrong. And, and part of the game here is, is, and what we've been very good at, um, is structuring a portfolio that is disciplined and focused. And as I said, honing in on what the right questions are and structuring a portfolio that is most directly benefited, if you're right, 
But at the same time, if you're wrong, which happens, uh, you know, more times than I can account, minimizing the downside, either through discipline in terms of getting out of positions or in the case of Turkey, structuring this in the way uh, where you've got great risk reward, uh, but your downside is clearly defined by what you spent on the options. Uh, now, in terms of what can go wrong, look, the Turkey could get a big investment from a foreign country. Qatar could could provide more capital to Turkey. Uh, the U.S. could decide Turkey is a great place for us to continue uh, uh, our peace talks in the Middle East. Uh, it helps uh, in terms of creating a buffer to Russia. Uh, in terms of the euro, um, perhaps there will be a real Hamiltonian moment. Uh, I see that as highly unlikely. Uh, perhaps uh, there are major disruptions in global supply chains uh, and inflation becomes an issue, which I don't think is, is the case right now. But that's a risk. Uh, and the U.S. badly manages that process. Uh, and inflation spikes and the dollar, uh, which I think will ultimately happen, just not anytime soon. The dollar losing its reserve currency status begins to you know, accelerate. Uh, there's lots of things that can go wrong. Uh, there's a constitutional crisis in the U.S. election uh, and people flee the dollar. Um, there's all sorts of things. Uh, but I think we have the portfolio structured in the way that we're somewhat insulated uh, and have identified what they could be and know how to react if, in fact, uh, those unexpected scenarios happen. Thank you, John. I think this has been a great uh, analysis, I think, for for uh, the viewers of Real Vision. Is there anything else you would like to add, you know, which I'm missing or uh, I haven't thought of asking, let's say? Is it some, because you've structured the trade, you've, you've shown everyone what the downside, the upside is, how, what, it could, what could go wrong, and what the, the benefits of, a, of playing a, a call spread is. Uh, I think uh, investors will find it very useful. Anything else that you would like to add or no, I, look, I, I think, Michael, the key thing for investors here at whatever level they're at, retail uh, or institutional level, and the key thing that we are focused on in the portfolio and structuring investments is that by any stretch, whether in terms of us doing you know, an interview here now on Skype at our homes and wearing masks or looking at the global debt numbers or the fiscal numbers, um, we're in an extraordinary environment. And that is likely to lead to extraordinary price adjustments uh, in the global financial markets. And currencies for me, you know, I was giving a talk about a year ago in Alberta, Canada. And at the time, given where monetary policy was, you know, gravitating towards zero, uh, and given where equity valuations were, you know, I, I coined a phrase which I think is, I think is original: um, that currencies are likely to become the last great equilibrating mechanism in the financial markets. Uh, and if you look back through history, not just the past ten years, not just the ERM crises, um, but there have been many, many parabolic moves in currencies. 
Uh, and I think, you know, we're right for many of those over the next few years. Uh, and it's important to think about, you know, what they could be, how they can transpire and really think outside the box. Okay, perfect. And when you, so you think, the, just to sum it up, you think that the Turkish trade will play out with the next, within the next three to six months, if, that, if I'm correct? From what In my time frame for, for Turkey is the next three to six months um, that, that I would expect um, in a good way for the levers of allowing, you know, an open economy, highly dependent upon tourism, uh, impacted by the shock uh, of COVID-19 to gradually um, have the currency depreciate. The risk is uh, a parabolic move if, as you said, um, some of those liabilities uh, and weaknesses uh, in the macroeconomic structure uh, are exposed in, in a less benign global economic environment. So thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, let's thank the viewers for watching. It was great talking to you. Uh, I think we should do this again in three to six months to see how this trade has gone. I'm, I'm on your side on this trade. I think it's going to work out. The only risk I see, it's maybe not three months, maybe six months because my experience has shown that Turkey takes a bit more time to play out usually. But uh, it was great having you. Great talking That's right. You. It always takes longer, but when it, when it goes, it goes faster and farther than you thought. I agree fully. Nice. Thanks talk. so much, Michael. Have a great day. Great to chat with you. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.